evening we're going to look at the first three verses of the book of John uh, plus uh, verse 14. And so I will read those to you. Now, this church doesn't stand during the reading of the word. I've been in Franklin and they do. And so I begin to get confused. Who does what? But uh, the most important thing is the posture of our hearts as we hear God's word. So, again, I'll be reading John chapter one, verses one through three and verse 14. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the father, full of grace and truth. The word of the Lord. In this opening, John catapults us us back in time to the very beginning. Now, you remember the opening words of the scriptures in the Old Testament are, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And John makes the statement that in the beginning was the word. So before we even begin considering what the word was or what the word is, John would have us notice the existence of the word or the chronology of the word in relationship to the beginning. And John is saying here that the word existed before the beginning of things. The word existed before the heavens and the earth were created. In fact, the opening phrase, in the beginning was the word, can be translated, in the beginning the word was. That's saying the same thing. And so John is making the point here that he does not ascribe to the word a beginning in time. He's rather saying the word has always been, the word has been since eternity past, the word existed before the beginning. Now, let's talk about what the word is. Well, of course, the word refers to Jesus. But let's suspend, at least in a small sense, our knowledge of that as we think about this for the original readers, uh, the word translated word here is the word logos in Greek. And that had meaning for Jews and for Greeks. Uh, Since the Lord had created the heavens and the earth by his word, for the Jews, the word logos or the word word uh, was associated with the divine. For the Greeks, the word logos Uh, was associated with a power that governs all things and that has rationale. And so John's using here a term that is meaningful and comprehensible to both Jews and Greeks. In fact, we we get the word logic uh, from this word logos. And so this word, which already existed when the beginning began, is associated with the divine, and the governance of all things. And then John tells us 
and the word was with God. And we say, okay, uh, that makes sense to a degree for our limited minds, limited understanding. We understand that which predates creation, that which already existed when the beginning began, that which is associated with the divine, that which governs all things was with God. That God was not lonely. He was not bored. He who is majestic in holiness and perfect in every way had some type of fellowship, some type of communion, some type of relationship with the word. And then John goes on to say, and the word was God. And we might say, wait a minute, John, you just said the word was with God. And now you've just written the word is God, which is true. Was the word with God or was the word God? And, and in these opening words, uh, John uh, marvelously throws us in to the foundational Doctrine of the Trinity. You know, we in from the evangelical reform tradition uphold, you know, the, the the foundational doctrine of being saved by grace alone, through faith alone. And and certainly that is, but you can't get any more foundational than the doctrine of the Trinity, that there's one God who exists in the form of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And John here is bringing out that Christ is the one who has governance over all things. Christ is the one who was before all things. Christ is the one who created all things. And so the overwhelming testimony of the Bible is that there is one God, but that He exists in the form of three persons. And no one can understand that exhaustively. It stretches our minds to think about it. And yet it is the testimony of the scriptures. The word was with God and the word was in some form distinct from the father. And yet the word shares a being of one true God with the father. And he makes a parallel claim in verse two as well when he says he was in the beginning with God. Now, it goes on to say that through him, all things were made or through him, all things came into being without him. Nothing was made or nothing came into being that came into being. And again, we're reminded in Genesis 1, 1, the words in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. Who made all things? God made all things. God created all things. He created the heaven and the earth. And then in verse three, John says, apart from him. All things came into being through him and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And so John is saying that this word which predates creation, this word which already existed when the beginning began, this word which is associated with the divine, which governs all things, this thing which is part of the Godhead, was with God and is God, is creator. And then in this climactic verse, verse 14, he says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who comes from the father, full of grace and truth. And so John is saying this word, which predates all creation, this word, which governs all things, this word, which existed 
when the beginning began, which was with God and is God, which is the creator. This this word took on human flesh and became a man and lived among people in this world. And we can translate it. He tabernacled among us. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And it it brings to mind how when the people of Israel were being led through the desert, that God went with them. And we sing about it this evening, the form of the glory cloud and the fire. And then also in the tabernacle, you had the very special presence of God and that God was committed to his special presence being among his people. He tabernacled with them. And now God is tabernacling. And the Lord Jesus Christ is man here upon earth. So John here in the opening of his book testifies to the divine nature of Christ. Now, the other gospel writers did that, too. Matthew and Luke convey it in a more narrative form. Matthew conveys it when he talks about an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream and told him not to be afraid, but to take Mary as his wife. Matthew said all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Luke conveys it saying, Chapter 1, verse 35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, the angel speaking to Mary, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So in these opening verses, John boldly proclaims the eternality of Jesus, the eternal fellowship of Jesus with God the Father, the divinity of Jesus, and that Jesus is Creator. Uh, Now, there have been attempts through history to deify Christ. Uh, The earliest and perhaps the best known was way back in the 300s. A man by the name of Arius taught this. He proposed that Jesus, yes, existed before time, but was not God and was not the creator. Rather, he was a creature. And Arius held that Jesus was the first of all That was created, that Jesus was the first creature created, that he was more than man, yet not God. And so the church reacted to this teaching by having the council of Nicaea in 325 A.D. And at that council, they studied the scriptures. They studied for right doctrine. And one of the fruits of the council of Nicaea is that. The Nicene Creed, which we regularly say in our churches. And it was a position that was officially adopted by the church. And of course, it can be broken down into three parts. The description of the Father, the description of the Son, the description of the Holy Spirit. And first, I want to read to you what we, we uh, f- most frequently read regarding the Son when we uh, use the Nicene Creed in church. And then I also want to read to you a paragraph that we typically do not include in our worship services. We normally read this. And I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of His Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. 
by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate of the Holy Spirit, was made man, he was crucified. And I'll stop there in that portion. The earliest form of the Nicene Creed contained the following. Listen to this. But as for those who say, there was a then when he did not exist, and before being born he did not exist, and that he came into existence out of nothing, or who assert that the Son of God is of a different hypostasis or ousia, that is, substance, or is created, or is subject to alteration or change, these the church Catholic anathematizes. Now, that's a great word, right? I mean, you know, if, if, if maybe if you're in here and you're eight or nine years old, maybe you've never heard the term anathematizes. You can just tell by the way I said that. That is not a good thing. Right? You, you don't want to be on that side. The church pronounces a curse on those who say there was a time when Jesus did not exist. Now, uh, we have modern day Arians, right? Jehovah's Witnesses are modern day Arians. Now, I do feel I have some sympathy for some of the Jehovah's Witnesses because they are being led by leaders who really are Jehovah's false witnesses, right? But the, the Jehovah's Witnesses in their doctrine hold that Jesus, like Arius, was among the first thing created and then God created things through him. In fact, in, the, in Colossians chapter 1, uh, well, first of all, going back to our verses today, here's how in their own translation, the New World Translation, they translate John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning the Word was, and the Word was God, and the Word was a God, small g. And then in their version of Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, they say, by means of him, all other things were created in heavens and upon the earth, things visible and things invisible, no matter whether they are thrones or lordships or governments or authorities, all other things have been created through him. Also, he is before all other things, and by means of him, all other things were made to exist. Friends, Greek has a perfectly good word for other, but in the Greek manuscripts, the word other is not there. They insert that there. Dr. Paul Kaufman, a Greek professor, says the Jehovah's Witnesses people evidence an abysmal ignorance of the basic tenets of Greek grammar in their mistranslation of John 1.1. And Bruce, Bruce Metzger, who was a professor of New Testament at Princeton University, calls the New World Translation a frightful, transla- a frightful mistranslation Erroneous and pernicious and reprehensible. And of course, there are many passages in the Bible that support the deed of Christ, but I'll just mention a few more. Colossians 2 9, for in him all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Uh, one of my favorites is from Luke chapter 6, the very beginning, and Jesus. Uh, was going through the grain fields and his disciples were beginning to pick some of the heads of grain, rubbing them and eating the kernels. And some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus 
said a few words, but then Jesus said to them this. The son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. (laughs) If there was ever a claim to be divine is saying, I am Lord of the Sabbath. Of course, Jesus also said in Revelation chapter 22, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last beginning of the end. Dear friends, what does it mean to you that Jesus is eternal? What does it mean to you that he has eternal fellowship with the Father? What does it mean to you that Jesus is divine and that he is the creator? Well, we could spend months, right, answering that question. I would like to go over just two things. First, consider this. The worth of his sacrifice for your sins. We don't have a small substitute. We don't have a devalued substitute. We don't have a discredited substitute. The one who paid the price for our sins existed when the beginning began, governs all things, created all things, is Lord of all things, was with the Father, and is God himself. There's a a Christian musician by the name of Phil Kagey. Perhaps some of you have seen him in concert. He came my first year. I think it was my first year at Davidson College and played. And he was phenomenal. He's a wonderful guitarist. Um, uh, but on one of his albums, he sings a song. And I don't know if he was the, the writer of this song or not. But listen to the lyrics of this song. Speaking of Jesus. His holy fingers made the bough which grew the thorns that crowned his brow. The nails that pierced his hand were mined in secret places he designed. He made the forest whence there sprung the tree on which his body hung. He died upon a cross of wood, yet made the hill on which it stood. The sky that darkened o'er his head by him above the earth was spread. That sun that hid from him its face by his decree was poised in space. The spear which spilled his precious blood was tempered in the fires of God. The grave in which his form was laid was hewn in rocks his hands had made. Dear friends, we have a sufficient sacrifice. There may be uh, sins, uh, there probably are sins upon which you look back and you think, I just can't believe I did that. I just can't believe I thought that. I just can't believe I desired that. Um, We do not have a devalued or discredited or small Savior. You know, in... uh, Um, financial advice is uh, usually given, if not always given, 
that one should diversify his or her assets. To not put, in a sense, all of his or her eggs in one basket. Even think about the book of Ecclesiastes. To spread your portions among seven. Yes, upon eight. You don't know what trouble will come upon the land. But this is not true in the spiritual realm. We're not diversifying in the spiritual realm. We're placing everything on Christ. He, having offered one sacrifice for sins, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting until that time, until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering, he is perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Dear Christian, this is the one who died for you. His forgiveness is perfect and complete and efficacious. Secondly, I want you to consider this. The, the commitment of God to fellowship with His people. He walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. He accompanied the people out of Egypt. He tabernacled among them in the tent. His special presence was in the temple when it was built. And then He tabernacled in the form of a man in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now we live in the blessed age where the Holy Spirit comes and lives within the individual believer. God has made clear that He is committed to having a people for Himself and He shall be their God. You know, the Word might have been made flesh and dwelt among the angels or noble or excellent beings or dwelled in a palace. But He dwelt among a rebellious people who had revolted against God, a generation of vipers and sinners. The hymn says, Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger bought me with his precious blood. Uh, I'm going to close with um, uh, a, a short vignette written by Richard Seltzer, who was a professor at Yale University Medical School. Uh, he has uh, written a number of, uh, of medical accounts in which he participated. And this is one of them. I stand by the bed where a young woman lies, her face post-operative, her mouth twisted in palsy, clownish. A tiny twig of the facial nerve, the one to the muscles of her mouth, has been severed. She will be thus from now on. The surgeon had followed with religious fervor the curve of her flesh. I promise you that. Nevertheless, to remove the tumor in her cheek, I cut the little nerve. Her young husband is in the room. He stands on the opposite side of the bed, and together they seem to dwell in the evening lamplight, isolated from me, private. 
Who are they? I ask myself. He and this wry mouth I have made who gaze at and touch each other so generously, greedily. The young woman speaks. Will my mouth always be like this? Yes, I say, it will. It is because the nerve was cut. She nods and is silent. But the young man smiles. I like it, he says. It's kind of cute. All at once, I know who he is. I understand and I lower my gaze. One is not bold in an encounter with a God. Unmindful, he bends to kiss her crooked mouth. And I am so close, I can see how he twists his own lips to accommodate to hers. To show that their kiss still works. The dear friends, the divine plan for the one who was before the beginning of time, who governed all things, from whom all wisdom stems, to come to this earth to take on the form of a man and to suffer and to die and to rise again was in a sense God's way of showing the kiss still works. That he has continued in an abiding love towards us. So, Dear friends, be encouraged. Your sins are paid for. Be encouraged. God is committed to having a people for himself. And let us humbly thank him. I'll lead us in prayer.